and we are recording. This is, it's kind of monumental because this is episode 250 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace podcast with uh, a gentleman that I never thought I would have the opportunity to speak with, Mr. Robert Ray Schaefer. <laughs> Amazing actor, character actor, whatever you want to say, character. You're an actor. You know? Yeah, I- yeah, I never liked that character actor thing. I was a leading man for a while, too. I mean, you get to do a little bit of everything in this game. And, you know, you can't always be uh, the 31-year-old version of Brad Pitt. <laughs> right. You're right. Yeah, so we're just going to call you an actor. All right. I'm just going <laughs> to rattle off some stuff in no particular order. Just for the kids at home that, that might be unaware of certain things. They're, in other words, they're confused. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of the youth are confused nowadays. Right. All right. Known for, obviously, Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration in the office. Right there. Mr. Dick Dixter. (laughs) Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Thank you. Um, Officer, listen, Psycho Cop, Psycho Cop Returns. Favorites, I love old school, cheesy, but brutal slasher movies. Love it. Officer John Vickers. That's why yesterday I had to thank you. What happened? Police Officer Joe Vickers. Joe Vickers. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Dude, unbelievable. You have the right to remain. There's so many classic little lines in that. There's so many quotables. Unbelievable. I rewatched them again for I don't know how many times for the 50th time, like three nights ago, just to get prepared, just to refresh my memory. Unbelievable. That's pretty brave of you. You know, I think somebody once said there's more one liners in Psycho Cop Returns than in all of Arnold Schwarzenegger's movies. <laughs> Dude, there's so many. Yeah, so it does. That that was written by uh, Dan Povenmire, who is now going on to be the head of the uh, Disney show uh, cartoon uh, animated show Phineas and Ferb. He's the executive producer, writer, creator of that. He's in charge of a billion dollar industry for Disney. So <laughs> so crazy. Yeah, he, he wrote a very good script, and we didn't stray too far from it when we made Returns. And you know, Rifkin's a mad genius anyway, and yeah. So, he brings his whole sensibility to it. And they pretty much just said, uh, Bobby, have at it. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> I'm ripping. I mean, there's no holding back there. I mean, uh, you know, when you're playing a psycho, uh, <laughs> you get to you get to do outlandish things and say outlandish things. And you know, and get a pass. And you get a pass, especially in that era of horror movies from 89 and 93. Yeah. Horror movies were insane. Yeah, that was, it was that was a big business. Uh, you know, the low budget horror direct to video feature of that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, those films, the, the film business changed dramatically when it went. You know, when the camera technology changed, right? That was in my in my career in Hollywood. That was the biggest change uh, that I saw. Was you know. Uh, and the ability to produce low-budget films, right? Screen Actors Guild uh, really, excuse me, hoard themselves out. <laughs> oh, you can say whatever you want here, man. It's all right. Don't, don't excuse yourself. Listen, as a producer, I love these contracts. You know, when I produced Dick Dixter, I was very appreciative of these low-budget contracts that Screen Actors Guild uh, made available to me as a producer. But as an actor, I hate them, you know? I mean, you... <laughs> You know, uh, that was the biggest thing that changed was that uh, Hollywood really killed off the independent film. You know, there used to be there used to be theaters for remember Sex, Lies and Videotape, right? Yeah, that was a that was a huge, big hit. And I was talking to the producer of that one night and they had made that for a million dollars. And, it you know, went on to gross 25 million in the theater. And I had been involved in a little film called Hollywood Shuffle with Robert Townsend. And actually, that was, you know, I always tell people that was the inspiration for Dick Dixter was <laughs> Hollywood Shuffle. It only took me 27 years to figure out what Robert was teaching me, which was make your own movie. 
Right. Don't, you know, make your own damn movies. So that's what I did with Dick Dixter. I, I, it all just sort of fell into place for me. You know, I had the script. And then my cousin, Chris Ray, was working at the asylum, which, you know, makes all the mockbusters, you know. Yes. We, we did Mega Python versus Gatoroid there. I so, love that shit, though. Yeah, this would be the funniest movie ever made. Seriously. Debbie Gibson and Tiffany, and they have a cat fight, and there's big reptiles. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like to watch things with people for the first time. I like to watch them alone. <laughs> yeah, I get it. In, in the dark, you know. And so when that thing was playing on sci-fi that night, I was literally falling out of my bed laughing. It was so <laughs> damn funny. Yeah. That I, was, I was proud of it. I was like, I got a Mega Python t-shirt. I was like, I'm in Mega Python. <laughs> it's awesome. Mega Python versus Kidrit, Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus, Stupid Shark. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did several of them. <laughs> I love. I love it because they're so over the top cheesy. They're great. Yeah, and, and that's and I tell people that's the trick is that you know as an actor you don't want to you know you're in a ridiculous movie. <laughs> yes. But you you got to pretend like you're not. You know that's the that's the real trick that you have. And, you know, it, it's it's you're working with green screens, right? And they go, okay, Bobby. Here's the snake. He gets you. And so you're like, what? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you're playing charade. Yeah, I, I think I remember reading a story about, uh, uh, what's his name, the English guy, Gary uh, Old, uh, Oldman. Gary when Oldman. Was, yeah, when he was doing Avatar, and that was all green screen stuff, that he was freaked out by it. You know, because actors are in the business of connecting with other actors. That's what that's what it's all about. Sure. You know, it, it's not about green screens and all of that. I mean, uh, that's the other thing about movies that have changed. You know, they've all had to become big budget, uh, $200 million hopefuls yeah. instead of in the little dramas like, you know, we made in the 80s and 90s. I already sound like an old guy I'm talking about. No, you don't. No, you don't. Listen, I'm, I'm 46, so I grew up watching all that stuff. I'll, I'll watch amazing Gary Oldman's one of my all-time favorite actors he's done incredible stuff and I'll watch a drama that's super involved and, and you have to pay attention or else you'll lose something and then I'll watch Super Shark like, they don't make dramas like that anymore really I mean where are they exactly I think uh, Jimmy the the biggest breakdown in Hollywood my way of thinking, and you're talking to a guy who spent 40 years in all areas of it, you know, writing and producing and acting and blah, 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 is that the studios use uh, young college kids to read the scripts. Uh -huh. So that's where the script thing falls apart at the very beginning. You could have a great script and it's just not going to get through these readers. The readers then, you know, give it to the producer with notes. You know, the funny story about Psycho Cop is Cassian Elways, who turned out to be an Academy Award winning producer of uh, a Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, he was our producer on Psycho Cop, one and two. And I don't think he ever read the script. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I'm pretty sure he didn't. I'm pretty sure he just made it because he liked the title. And, and the funny story is, is that uh, our producer was Jessica Raines. And, and she was Claude Rains, the great Claude Rains, the actor Claude Rains. His the Invisible Man. <laughs> yeah, The Invisible Man, Casablanca. Insane. A couple of little titles there for him. Couple. Uh, so we had that connection to old Hollywood, but we were waiting to get the money from Cassie and Elways, right? And so it was about three months, and finally the director and, and Jessica Rains said to me, Bobby, why don't you rent the costume and just show up at this office and see if you can get this money out of him? <laughs> <laughs> so I do. I rent the costume. I show up in Beverly Hills, you know, uninvited at you know two o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. I, I saunter into his office. I've got the jack boots on. I've got the leather jacket. I've got the whole, you know, I've got the nightstick. The whole. <laughs> Did you have badge number six 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 yet? Uh, no, I didn't have that detail ironed out. But okay, I just wanted to just put that out there. <laughs> I will say badge number 666 is still in my possession. Really? 
on the shelf behind me. That's awesome. I was going to ask you if you have that thing still. They called me and asked, you know, the prop people called me uh, and asked me, hey, have you seen that badge? And I'm like, huh? Huh, That was in my back pocket a long time ago. My badge? (laughs) Yeah, your badge. Awesome. So good. You know, it's another amazing movie. And I watched it for the first time a month ago. Yeah. Helen Keller versus Nightwolves, dude. Yeah, it, that's Ross Patterson. I mean, he's a mad genius. St. James Street James. <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, when you say over the top, oh. he's redefining the top. You know, he's, uh, and, and then the film he did before that, I'm in, uh, FDR. FDR, American, American Badass. <laughs> Yeah, that's an amazing cast that he has for FDR. I mean, Barry Boswick and, you know, just tons of people in that. Lynn Shea is in both of them. It's Lynn, like, Lynn and I used to work out in the same gym in Studio City. I see her almost every day. She's really a, she's a very funny actress. I mean, something about Mary, she just steals that movie. <laughs> Absolutely. That insidious. Even in Helen Keller, unbelievable. It's like she, the lines in that movie that she comes out with, I'm like, what? She's going to take her hand from the basement and knock out a row of chiclets. Like, I'm like, this old lady. It's hilarious. I love her in uh, Kingpin. Kingpin. Oh, yeah. My little Roy. Oh, it wasn't so bad. My little Roy toy. <laughs> <laughs> He's in there tossing his cookies in that commode. I mean, that's a classic scene, especially with the choice of uh, uh, the uh, Hello Darkness, my old friend. Yeah, <laughs> Mrs. Robinson song. I mean, that those guys, uh, Peter uh, and uh, Bobby Farley are, are funny dudes. Uh, in fact, my friend Nick Vallelonga won the Academy Award with Peter uh, for Green Book. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you saw Green Book. I didn't see it. I heard all about it, but I didn't get a chance. I didn't see it. I'll check. I'll definitely check it out, though. I heard it's a great movie. You'll love it. I mean, it's uh, you know, especially some Jimmy from from Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, did you say you had a neighbor? Like, one of your favorite neighbors was from Brooklyn? Oh yeah, he he was actually uh, uh, a uh, graphic artist for Sony Records. And so he was doing all the album covers. He was a big shot, you know, and he used to get all these great tickets. I mean, I was backstage with Bowie and all kinds of great stuff. Nice. And I used to call up to his office and do these voices. <laughs> you know, and I would say it's Pat Riley or, you know, you know. And so one time it's Michael Jackson and he thinks it's me. Except it's Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so he thought that you were imitating Michael Jackson's voice. He's going, hey, Schaefer, I don't have time for this right now. I got a Michael Jackson album. And Michael David. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah it's like what I was watching uh, FDR American Badass. And the first time I watched it, because I watched it a few times. The first time I'm like, and then I'm like, oh, okay. That's, and I prefer to you as Joe Vickers because that's like the first thing I know you from. Oh, that's Joe Vickers. And then watch it, and the next thing you know, you're just like, what about Tommy? And and then you started quoting the fucking Bon Jovi lyrics. I was on the floor. I was like, my mouth was wide open. I was dying. That was the trick there, because when uh, Ross and I were talking about that scene, you know, I'm sitting in Barry Bostwick's lap, first of all. <laughs> yes, you are. A huge guy. I mean, I, Barry was barely holding me up, but <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, not put any weight on him. And uh, so the trick with that was to, you know, do the song lyrics. And I didn't even recognize it as a Bon Jovi song when I first read it. I was just like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? And so Ross said, hey, man, it's a Bon Jovi song. <laughs> it is living on a prayer. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I know that song. So I go, well, I don't want it to sound like the song, you know, so that was really, that's the trick is, you know, to, to it was, do it. It was executed <laughs> fucking brilliantly. It was so good. We killed it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it, and we did that fast. You know, we, we're shooting fast. That's not where you have all day to, you know, hang around and shoot a bunch of takes. I mean, we, we got it and moved on. Yeah. Unreal, man. It's fucking hilarious. You were in a little movie called Zombievers as well. 
briefly. Uh, yeah. yeah. I did an opening gag. Oh my God. <laughs> Bill Burr was in that. I'm like, what is happening here? Well, the, I give those guys credit for not doing CGI. I mean, that was all animatronics and they had real model, you know, working models and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. they, they were going the extra, uh, extra nine yards. Or, yeah. And, uh, kind of like the of- night wolves in Helen, in the Helen Keller movie. Oof. Well, yeah. <laughs> there's, they're just throwing buckets of blood on me. You know, I mean, that was the bloodiest I ever got. I mean, I walked out of there. I mean, that's sticky stuff. It takes a long time to get it off of you. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's caro syrup mixed with food dye. And food uh-huh. It's not pleasant to, you know, get coated uh-huh. with that. I mean, it's not like water. Right. <laughs> I mean, no, not at all. There's like a, a taxidermied wolf gets like split out behind a tree. There's like a... <laughs> There, guys, don't hurt the wolf. <laughs> the girl's running down, it looks like a stuffed dog. It's, it's hilarious. That's the point of it, is you know. Uh, oh, I know that's what makes it so good. It's 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 bad on purpose and it's executed perfectly, so it's it's amazing. The the one I like that we did was Screwball, the Ted Whitfield story about the world's oh. greatest wiffle ball player. If you get a chance. <laughs> watch that you'll uh you'll appreciate uh it's going on my list and as soon as we're done in a little while i will put that shit on guaranteed uh, i'm proud of screwball <laughs> screw i'm watching it i'm actually as a matter of fact i'm writing it down right now it's fucking hilarious yeah he he, he, he patterson takes the journey you know he becomes the you know uh he turns into barry bonds he's he's it, it, you know he's doing uh steroid it, performance mm-hmm. and drugs i mean he's got the groupies i mean he turns into a real monster yeah <laughs> playing with him so now i want to ask you about doc honeymoon yeah how is it working with roy scheider because jaws is one of my favorite movies of all time well i didn't actually work with him oh you didn't work you, you weren't with him on set at all at any time oh no i was just happy to be in a movie with him you know sure i mean I've always been a, a Roy Scheider fan. I mean, The Sorcerer is really one of the greatest pieces that he ever did. Um, I've seen that so long ago, and I have to revisit it. I saw that decades ago, literally. It holds up. <laughs> Does mean, it? That, oh, yeah. The tension in that thing is still palpable, you know, and, and that, that's kudos to the director. I mean, they were in impossible conditions. You're down in the jungle shooting that. I mean, that is not... <sighs> That's a brutal, just the insects alone down there, you know, uh, that's, you know, white people aren't indigenous to that area. So I would lose my shit. I would lose it. Yeah. No, I, have you ever seen that show naked and afraid? Yes. I mean, I mean forget about it. I, I'd be naked and afraid of the four seasons. How about that? <laughs> exactly. Cause that, that would, that would seem like I would watch that show and I'd be like, all right, if they if they drop me somewhere freezing cold, I'm out. I'm out. I, I don't like the cold. I'm like a good girl when it comes to the cold. I hate it. Well, it's you're in it right now, aren't you? Yeah, and I hate it out there. Um, and anywhere tropical, I can deal with the humidity, this, that, and the other thing. But once you start throwing mosquitoes and gnats and stuff like that, I'm out. They go with it. Ah, <laughs> oh, brutal. Yeah. I don't think I'd last too long. <laughs> oh, man. Well, there was a, I mean, you and a bunch of stuff, man. I mean, Pee Wee's Big Holiday. I mean, that must have been kind of cool. Well, it, I mean, it was interesting because that was big budget filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Pee Wee. Uh, so it, all the trailers and all you know i mean that's a huge crew and you know very slow filmmaking because they're very you know precise with their locations and their settings and it takes forever to dress a set i'm sure you know, i had just come off of shooting dixter and we were shooting <laughs> yeah. i mean the secret to dixter was that i had three cameras going at once right, right. so that changes the whole game i mean i I was shooting 15 page days and rapping early. Yeah. You know I mean? Wow. And we were doing long scenes. I mean, there were, there's uh, scenes in Dixter that are 
from start to finish, you know, five to seven minutes long. And hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's just master takes. I mean, I'm cutting inside there, but the, we, we were doing those from start to finish. We weren't stopping and starting, you know, like you normally do with filmmaking, but, um, you know, that has that theater approach. And so the other actors really buy into that, you know, it really sure. creates, it creates a fun arena. Yeah. You know? oh, oh my. It was nice to actually see Richard Grieco in something again, too. He, like, he kind of like, what's Richard Grieco up to? Well, he's producing and directing, you know, yeah. and he's got a couple horror films coming out, I think, that he's starring in as well. I mean, he's, you know, just because you're not, uh, you don't have 21 Jump Street, I mean, or, <laughs> yeah. you're not being, you know, crazy like your old running partner, Johnny Depp, and sp- losing, spending all your all your money. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, he's been working the whole time. I mean, it's just not visible, you know, the visibility. Yeah, no, I'm sure. It's just like that's why I was like, it's good to actually see him in something again. You know, I'm sure the guy isn't sitting on his couch doing nothing, but it was cool to see him again. You know. Yeah, no, and he's terrific. You know, he's got a real presence to me. And you got somebody like Bonnie Rotten in there. Oh, Jesus Christ! Well, you know, I didn't know of her work until you know after. <laughs> And then I watched a few of her uh, films, and <laughs> oh, it's it's, it's something. <laughs> she is. She's a real go-getter. Oh, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but she was great. I mean, uh, and you know, uh, really, I thought it added a lot to the film. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And we were glad to have her. So, yeah. Uh, you know. so, so for the kids out there that are not aware of Dick Dixter, you have to search it out and rent it and watch it because it's it's something. It's awesome, too. Well, thank you. It's old school filmmaking. I mean, because there, as you know, there's no sacred classes in it. I mean, I Dick hates everybody. <laughs> yes. You know, he's misogynistic. He, he's racist. He's homophobic. He, you know, he's every ism there can be. And he's drunk the whole movie. He's, yeah, he's hammered the whole movie. <laughs> Kim Bean will do that to a guy. You know? <laughs> right. I don't know if you noticed this, but I mean, at certain points, he's drinking out of the bottle and a glass. I mean, so. Yes, of course I've noticed that. <laughs> Double so, fisting. You know, and he says, he says, I don't drink. I mean, you know, I don't drink. What are you talking about? When he signs the contract, the director, yeah. the cult of Boone. <laughs> Um, he ripped the wiggles and Wolverine was dying. It's, uh, it was a lot of fun, you know. Uh, I mean, it was a lot of work. I mean, because I, I actually edited it and cast it and, you know, chose the music and the backgrounds and did everything. So It was your movie through and through. It's amazing. It, it was a labor of love, but it was also kind of a statement on, on Hollywood, you know, I, I think at the end of the day. I mean, I wanted to make a very fast-paced uh, mockumentary part uh, mm-hmm. pace is what I call it. I mean, I like Christopher Guest, but those are a little more languid. They're a little more talky. You know, have these big, huge monologues. But I just wanted to. I always thought of it as you know, jab, jab, uh, jab, jab, right hook. I mean, yeah, you know, just keep throwing jabs as fast as you can. So mm-hmm. uh, you, you don't really have time to settle down. You like wait. What's happening now? <laughs> it just keeps coming at you, you know? Yeah. Fast-paced movie-making, dude. It's, it's, it's awesome. Now, I do have to ask you, how did the whole thing start? Or like, like, did you get the phone call? Was there an audition? Once you entered season two of The Office, man. Well, I, you know, it's a pretty funny story. I, it's iconic. <laughs> your, your role, and I'm sure you know this already, your role is iconic, and everyone knows Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how it worked out. I mean, you go Google Vance Refrigeration, you'll be stunned at all the products that come up. You know, yeah. I, I actually have a shower curtain that says it. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. I have every shirt, every made, every hat. I mean, there's tons of it. I got to keep buying it. I'm sick of it. But <laughs> I have to collect it. Uh, but who knew? I had no idea, you know, that it would be what it was. I mean, who could have seen it? Nobody. No, nobody in the cast thought that we would be as big as we became. We Oof. became big after we were off the air uh, because of Netflix. And, you know, our audience completely changed. I mean, it became kids, 11, yeah. 12, 13-year-old kids. And, you know, 
I was stunned when I realized I went to uh, Wilkes-Barre, PA to throw out a pitch at the Rail Riders, the Yankees uh, farm club there. Beautiful, beautiful park. And uh, so I was signing autographs for six innings and it was all kids. And they were walking up and I binged watched it 10 times. <laughs> yeah, man. When did this happen? It's such a rewatchable show, too. It really is. Well, I mean, it uh, it was lucky. I mean, when I got it, um, I was familiar with, I'd seen a few episodes in season one. And I remember thinking, what is this? You know, because mm-hmm. it was so different. I mean, uh, season one was the lowest rated uh, show in NBC history, those first six episodes. Oh, my so, God. So, yeah, they didn't think they were going to pick it up. But they oh. were desperate for material, so they uh, kept it in the lineup. In fact, when I first came in in season two, episode ten was when it got picked up for the rest of the season. So everybody breathed a big sigh of relief then, and we were off and running because in two thousand six, that first year I was there, we won the Emmy for you know best comedy. Wow. So that really that changed the game as well. Yeah. But our first was 30 to 40 year olds with household incomes of $100,000 plus. So that's why NBC loved them because they sold all this ancillary stuff on, on NBCstore.com. Yeah. So, um, but I remember, uh, you know, every week we got our butts kicked by Gray's Anatomy every week in the Nielsen ratings. We were always, you know, 49th, 50th, and they were always in the top five, you know. So every week yeah. they won time slot. We never won it. I mean, wow. we we did get to be the Super Bowl show one year, which was a big deal, you know, because uh, and, and we knew we were doing great work. Right. We, we were still a niche show, you know, and then after it went off, uh, that's when it really took off. I mean, when I uh, go online on my phone in the morning, I mean, there's probably four or five articles in my feed about the office every day, really? every day. You know, what happened to this person? What are they doing? You know, the best 10 lines. I mean, there's yeah. always some list, you know. I mean, it's crazy uh, that it's still relevant. It's, it's still, and, and that, that's a show that has absolute staying power. Like, that show will be around for a long time. So, yeah, no. yeah you, obviously, you already know. Just get used to it. Match refrigeration all day. I've been saying it for 16 years. I mean, I still say it almost every day because I play the character uh, on Cameo.com. You know, I make the the fan videos, so I do birthdays and weddings and. Oh, so so what? Yeah, what's your, where can people find you on Cameo, man? What is it? What's the cameo.com slash Bobby Ray? Um, you know, under the office. I mean, you know, there's about seven of seven of us on there. Uh, Leslie's, uh, David Baker, Stanley's on there. Um, Melora Harden, Jan is on there. Kate Flannery, Meredith. Uh, is Dwight on there? Is fucking Dwight Schrute on there? No, Dwight doesn't do them. But Brian Baumgartner, who plays Kevin, uh, he was Cameo's leading earner last year. He made over a million dollars doing that. Really? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's big business. I mean, I think there's 25,000 quote-unquote celebrities on Cameo. Yeah. So, mm. you know, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> When people call me a celebrity, I'm like, huh, what? <laughs> I never... I, yeah, I get it. I, I understand because you're a humble guy. You're like a regular guy. So it's kind of probably feels a little weird. Yeah, no, I never wanted to be one. I mean, I, I liked when I got to the point in my career where I got offers where people already knew the work and then they just call them and say, hey, is Bobby available to do this? And usually the answer was yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Stephanie Powers told me that. She said, whatever they offer you a job, say yes. <laughs> well, hell yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Jesus. So now I'm just going to rattle off a few and feel free to speak about anything that piques your interest. All right, you ready? Loaded, friended to death. Asteroid, I love it. Asteroid versus Earth. Well, I saved the planet in that one. I just need <laughs> I nuke my own submarine with a nuclear bomb and, you know, I go down with the ship to save the planet. You're welcome. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, so awesome. My pleasure. Well, actually, uh, that's where I met Tim Russ, uh, you know, who played uh, Sammy Davis Jr. and, and Dick Dixter. Uh, it was funny. We were both playing sailors on this thing. He was the commander of the ship and I was the lieutenant. And he 
the first thing I've, you know, we had the same manager and I was aware of Tim Russ from, you know, Star Trek Voyager and whatnot. Yeah. Great actor. But uh, he looks at me and goes, anybody ever tell you you could play Rodney Dangerfield? And I'm like, huh, what? <laughs> and so then I said, do you suppose that you can sing like Sammy Davis Jr.? Because <laughs> I was already thinking of him as Sammy Davis Jr., you know, for, for Dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It worked out. It was so great to work with him. But uh, Friended to Death was, you know, we were uh, right on the edge of um, the whole Facebook likes and all that. This guy stages his own funeral to see if his friends show up and (laughs) get some likes. Crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. People actually probably do that shit. It's insane. Facebook likes. People live on that shit. Well, they live off of it. I mean, they, their whole life is about it now. You know, the photographs they take. I mean, the whole thing is about, you know, putting that uh, phony life up there. Yeah. Uh, I liked uh, Kumal Johnny was in that. Uh, he, he's a good little actor. Uh, and, you know, I played a really eccentric uh, <laughs> uh, mechanic. Uh, I owned a garage and their their, their van broke down, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> right. <laughs> unfortunately for them. It broke down in my shop, and you know I had some some demand from them, really. But you worked with a bunch of legendary people in Stiletto. Oh yeah, no, that was Nick Vallelonga again. That was his script, and you know Tom Berenger and William Wright and Tommy yeah. Sizemore, who I almost had to knock out. Oh really? Yeah, I heard stories about old Tommy Sizemore before. He was using, and you know, he was back on the meth, and so it was funny because I had just done this Elvis movie with him in it, and Nick King, him, yeah, the uh, protecting the king, protecting the king, yeah, that was uh, Elvis's stepbrother, David Edward Stanley, who wrote and produced and directed that. So it was kind of cool to sit around and talk about Elvis with him. Hell yeah, uh, yeah, no, he he was there when the whole thing went down. He was only seventeen when he first started working as a bodyguard for Elvis. I mean, it's a hell of a story. Wow. But uh, true story. Um, but anyway, so Nick calls me up and he says, you know, you, you just worked with Tommy Sizemore. What was he like? And I said, well, the producer said they'd never work with him again. You know, he he was causing trouble. He was late, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, I only need him for a day or two. What could go wrong? Oh, uh, everything. <laughs> yes. Let me tell you what could go wrong. He, he could get arrested in Bakersfield at a motel. <laughs> right. some, some white powdery substance. That, that's what could go wrong. I can get the phone call the next day. Hey, listen, today's shoot is off. Uh, Tommy got arrested up in Bakersfield. Oh, my God. But anyway, when we were shooting the scene, there was some pushing and shoving, and, you know, and he didn't uh, alert me that he was going to do it. You know, so you got to tell me if you're going to put your hands on me because I got to get ready for that. I mean, I can't. You don't get a free shot, right? Of course not. <laughs> you don't get a, you know, you don't get to knock me out cold. Uh, you don't get a free swing. So yeah. unreal. And and usually there's always uh you know when there when there's fight scenes there's usually a little bit of an accident. I mean I was shooting this uh, what was the name of it? it was a French director a girl is a gun and Denise Richards I was beating her up. No, oh, so you were beating the <laughs> Denise Richards. <laughs> well. I have her tied up to this bed springs, right? It's up against the wall, and I take a swing, and it, and I could I barely tick the edge of her nose because she leaned forward instead of going back, you know. So that could have shut the whole damn thing down. Yeah, you could have you could have put her nose on the other side of the face because you're not a little guy. I'm, I'm a heavyweight. I'm two thirty. So I'm two thirty. I mean, that, that's what, you know, <laughs> that's a substantial uh, hit if you're not expecting it. So. Um, but you know, little stuff happens like that. I mean, that's why you know, uh, like for instance, Psycho Cop, that was a grueling shoot because it was so physical. You know, running around in the woods and doing all that stuff. It was um, we were shooting in Malibu Canyon in December, so it was uh, you know thirty five, forty degrees. It was freezing cold, and you know that's a lot colder than the rest of L.A. Actually, it's yeah. I was gonna say that's gotta be cold. Well, for, for L.A., it's sure. you average 10 degrees colder in that canyon. And uh, so that's where we were. <laughs> that's where we were. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of physical stuff going on there. And uh, so, you know, you really earn your money when you shoot, shoot that fast. Uh, yeah. You know, both, both those movies, we shot them in 12 days each. I mean, so. That's it? Yeah, it only took 12 days. 
for each of those. Each of them. Where was the building where you were on the roof? Well, that's in, in return. That's that's in Burbank, uh, out on uh, First Street in Burbank, uh, B of A building. There, it's, it's uh, I think a ten-story building, and so we were, uh, you know, standing on the roof there with uh, I had a hundred and eighty-five pound guy over my shoulder. And I've got to throw him down. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the wind is whipping you, you know, and, and uh, Rifkin's down there. He's down two, two or three uh, floors below out on this terrace shooting up at me. And they keep going, hey, Bobby, Bobby, come on a little closer to the edge. Oh. <laughs> you know, I feel like Vic Morrow, you know. Okay, uh, the, the helicopter, Vic, is going to come over. You're going to be carrying the Vietnamese kids out of the creek. Oh, no, the rudder just came off. You know. <laughs> They, you know, directors and producers will ask you to take chances, you know, uh, when you maybe shouldn't, you know, yeah. uh, so because they want the footage, they want the shot. I mean, of uh, even if it puts your life at risk. <laughs> well, that's a great story about Burt Reynolds and Deliverance. He did the stunt himself coming over the in the canoe and it screwed him up. I mean, he went had to go to the hospital. He broke ribs. I mean, he was in bad shape. And he insisted on doing it. And so the director, John Borman, shows up and Bert comes out of, you know, sort of wakes up and says, how'd that last shot look? And he goes, it looks like a dummy coming over the rapids in a boat. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, he had said, no, I got to do that stunt. I got to do it myself. And so he, he paid the price for doing it. I mean, he was in the hospital for a while after that. Oh, I mean, shit, I never, I never knew that. Yeah, that was in, uh, in his biography. I mean, uh, it, 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 very interesting. You know, he had a lot of, Reynolds had a lot of connections to old Hollywood. He was friends with Mae West and Betty Davis and, you know, he was at a studio in New York. I mean, he was a serious actor. I mean, the fact that he just became, you know, the world's biggest movie star. I mean, that's, you know, he, he, uh, he started out as a serious actor. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. His role in Boogie Nights. Yeah. Like, that's one of my all-time favorite movies ever. Yeah, no. I guess he hated doing that too. Did he? <laughs> yeah, I read that it wasn't a, a lot of fun. You know, he, he's not the lead guy there, so I mean, he's no. used to being the lead dog. You know, when you're when you're playing a supporting role, it, it's a different dynamic for you. You know. Yeah. Uh, so. uh, his role as Jack Horner was amazing, though. Like I said, yeah. one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah, terrific film. Yeah, unreal. Um, how about? Well, yeah, well, well, we're on Stiletto. How was William Forsythe? Because I met him at a convention, and he was he was an awesome guy. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, he's cool. He's a cool cat. I mean, and uh, I mean, this material, nobody's really testing him with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you'd really have to come up with something really tough to, you know, even, you know, <laughs> get a rise out of him because he's yeah. been there, done that. So, but he, he, takes it seriously. I mean, he doesn't, you know, walk through it. I mean, some guys will walk through, you know, stuff that they don't feel is worthy of them, but uh, he crushed it. I mean, he's, yeah. he's menacing without being menacing. You know, that's uh, that's a hard uh, thing to do, and he, he can pull that off. Yeah, yeah, he has that face. He has that menacing face. I just did an episode with the actor Jeff Colbert. Yeah. Another one with a menacing face, but the sweetheart of a guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are you here? Are you hearing me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. That was just something because I kind of hear something. I was just making sure that I was going through on your end. Okay. All right. Yeah. Just double checking, man. All right. Now you were in episodes. I mean, of, I mean, whether it's one episode or a couple of, I got to ask you, you're the third person that I've had on the podcast that either worked on or was in episodes of Highway to Heaven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it had a long run. I mean, and they treated, you know, young actors good. I mean, that was a big break. I mean, it was my first network TV show uh, directed by Victor French, who was yes. uh, the old cowboy actor and Michael Landon's sidekick and uh -huh. uh, playing a basketball player. And, uh, of course, I was a very good basketball player in those days. And uh, I got the part and, uh, you know, had a great, great time shooting it. Yeah, so that was your big, that's funny because I, I didn't even mean to do that, but I just mentioned Jeff Colbert and that was his first kind of big, he was on one episode of that show V yeah. and that's where he got his SAG card and then he went to Highway to Heaven and that's kind of what was his big break as well. Yeah, that's, those are two, uh, two pretty good credits to have. A friend of mine, uh, 
um, well, I'm trying to think of his last name, a great actor. Uh, his first two credits were Cool Hand Luke and <laughs> what was the other one? A Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke and Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> uh, like, what are, what's going to top that? It's a well, Wonderful Life in Casablanca? Like, what? No, that, that's James Gammon, you know, who had that great voice talk like this. He, he did all kinds of parts. He was uh, one of the coaches in Major League. Uh, real dark, deep voice, James Gammon. Uh, but the, that's I remember him telling me that I was like, well, that's a pretty good start. <laughs> a little bit, Jesus Christ. So we'll take it back and we're gonna I'm gonna throw future force at you. <laughs> uh well, uh that was with David Carradine. So uh I got that part and I was happy to be doing a scene with David Carradine. I loved him from Kung Fu as a kid. And yes. next thing you know, I'm uh, standing in a parking lot out in Riverside in the middle of the night shooting this scene with uh, you know, where he kills me. And so we spent time together. We went in his trailer and uh, he, he offered me some rum because it was freezing cold and he chased it with milk. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> I said, I'll just have a sip of the rum. I'll skip the milk. But, he, he, you know, uh, later I would know a couple of his brothers, uh, Keith and uh, um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Oh, I did Echo Park with him. Michael um, uh, works in all the Tarantino films. Uh, Michael, uh, I can't think of his last name. Madsen. Anyway, huh? Madsen? No, no. Um, oh, I'll, I'll, it'll, it'll come to me. Uh, it'll, yeah, and it'll pop in my head, too, like, as soon as we stop recording, of course. But, you know, his, his father, John Carradine, has the most credits of any Hollywood actor in history. He did 435 movies. Jesus, John Carradine. You know, at the end of John Carradine's life, they were actually going. He wasn't traveling anywhere. They would come to his place and shoot him there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so that's when you really made it. With you know, and he was you know pounding the booze the whole time. But oh uh, you really made it when they come to your place to shoot you. <laughs> so that, that must have been like an oh shit, like very cool moment for you to be standing there with David Carradine shooting a movie with this guy. Yeah, it. it told me I could handle myself, you know, I mean, that was a test for me. I mean, because uh, he's a pro's pro, you know, a big star. And uh, yeah, he was plumbing, you know, making this movie, but uh, he still did it. I still did it. We still had fun doing it, uh, you know, and it was a, a stepping stone. You know, you want to that's you want to always work with people better than you. I always did when I started out, but it was a connection to old Hollywood. You know, I'm into old Hollywood and uh, I, I like all that history and all, all those connections. You know, my teacher that I went to school with uh, for three years, Peggy Fury, she came from the actor's studio with Lee Strasberg in New York. Her, She taught Marlon Brando and James Dean. That's wow. who she would talk about, you know, when she would talk, uh, when we would do playwrights. I mean, we used to do Tennessee Williams, you know, I mean, serious, you know, serious yeah. actor stuff. So, uh, you know, uh, very much a method actor. Uh, of course, some of that gets tossed by the wayside as time goes on because, of, you know, uh, uh, but the basis for still, uh, you know, being genuine and creating authentic characters uh, comes from that place. Yeah. You know, that that uh, that approach to the work. I mean, it's not just, you know, <laughs> turning on the camera and looking pretty. I mean, you've got to do some actual work sometimes. Absolutely. So so it's, you're, you're, you're like history before you actually what was the first role that you ever like, did you have, did you have like a lot of, did you do a lot of theater and stuff like that beforehand? Well, sure. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I did the, and it's a funny story because, uh, True West, which is a great play by Sam Shepard, the writer, actor, Sam Shepard. Okay. Prize winner, one for Buried Child, but, um, uh, True West was, you know, the map, Gary, uh, uh, John Malkovich and Gary Sneeze did that. Wow. And that made them famous, that, that play. They did a PBS version of it. So that is the play that I auditioned to get Psycho Cop. I, I go in and we weren't reading from the script. We were reading from True West. So I already knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I had been working on it in class. And so the director, Wallace Potts, says to me, are you familiar with True West? And I said, oh, a little bit. A little <laughs> bit. Know, I didn't know. I know it backwards and forwards. I, yeah, I didn't let out. I was ready to do a performance of it, you know, get it on stage. Let's go. No. So I could, I was sitting out in the waiting room, and Sam Shepard's very hard. True West is very, 
difficult uh, dialogue. And uh, so I could hear everybody just in there butchering it. You know, they were terrible, all the other <laughs> actors. And so I was just chock full of confidence when I went in there, you know, and it uh, right away, I, I banged it. It was mine. I, there was awesome. no yeah. There was prepared no for class. You were prepared for class, man. Well, when the moment came, I was ready. So 20 years later, I actually got to do the play in Pasadena where Sam Shepard wrote it. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was so powerful. It was so much fun. And, uh, I met Sam Shepard's ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, Oh, uh, I just did a play, uh, in, uh, Pasadena. Um, I did, I did true West and I read a biography of Mr. Shepard before I did the play. And she looks at me and she goes, Oh, are they still doing that? <laughs> oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like they still do Hamlet and Macbeth. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, in a hundred years, they'll still be doing it. Okay. Of course they will be. <laughs> Bitter table for one. Yeah. <laughs> I this other play. And so later that night, the other producer calls me up and she goes, yeah, I don't think Olin Jones liked you very much. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> And I said, I know why, because I like Sam Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> I took sides. I picked the wrong sides. I should go to the landscape. Hey, listen, if you chose a side, it's, it's all right. You go with Sam. <laughs> I, met once, I met him once. I was a bartender up on Sunset Strip at this place called Nikki Blair's big celebrity joint. And one night he walked in there, and it was a place where all the young models and actresses would go to meet the older producers, right? Mm-hmm. And had a bit of that meat market vibe, and uh, of course, a lot of sh- a lot of schmoozing going on. Saturday night in there was crazy, and so he he looks at me and he goes, "What kind of place is this?" <laughs> <laughs> I said, "I'd already bought him a beer or two. and I said, uh, "Well, you know, it's the kind of place it can get dangerous." Mm-hmm. And he looks at me and he goes, "Dangerous is a loaded forty-five." <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like. I'm doing hard-boiled dialogue with Sam Shepard. <laughs> Great. This is a loaded 45. And how old were you at this time? I was in my uh, uh, in my 20s. Okay. All right. Right before I got Psycho Cop. Nice. Yeah, yeah. What was the name? What was the name of the place called? Nikki Blair's. Nikki, Nikki. Blair's on the set. Yeah. Okay. I mean it was loans hang out i mean it was everybody went there i mean it was a crazy fun place i mean uh-huh. uh, great food and you know uh great drinks and yeah a lot of fun i'm sure i'm sure like sunset strip over there like where it's all the sunset strip in the in the 80s was insane i mean i've seen documentaries and heard stories no well it's a funny story is that building was owned by kenny rogers and later i got to do a, a geico commercial with kenny rogers and so I said, I used to bartend at 8730 Sunset. And he's like, well, I owned that building. I go, I know you owned that building. Oh, <laughs> shit. And here I am in a commercial with you. Well, I mean, working with Kenny Rogers was the high point. I mean, seriously, I, you know, I sat there and talked to Kenny Rogers about Kenny Rogers' career. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, That's like, for instance, when he discovered the Eagle, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, um, the song... Um, Islands in the Stream with Dolly Parton, which yes. is a huge hit, right? Sure. Well, it wasn't supposed to be a duet. It just so happened that one day he was recording it, and she happened to walk into the studio, and he said, do you want to sing on this with me? She said, let me see it, and said, yeah. And so it became one of the you know best-selling duets ever. Ever, sure. And just, and just like on a whim, almost by accident. Yeah, oh, well, serendipity. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, perfect. Yeah. Wow, man. So yeah, you did, I know you did a lot of, of a lot of commercials, and like I said before, you were in like episodes of like Cold Case, Boston Legal, Malcolm in the Middle, Wings, Becker, a bunch of little spots here and there, man. You know, um, that's how you stay alive, you know. And oh you- yeah, absolutely, it's work, dude. Anytime you're working on network television, you know, it's a big deal. I mean, it's always a good get when you get one of those. I mean. Uh, I always like network television. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you get advanced refrigeration mailbox money. I mean, that must be the greatest gig ever. It, it's 
you know, it's still running. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Like you won the lotto. It's great. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's on a pretty fast sliding scale. You know, I mean, the residuals uh, are not what they used to be because it's been playing for so long. I mean, we we were in syndication in 2009. So it's been in syndication for 13 years already. So, uh, you know, um, it keeps going strong, though. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon, though. Like I said, it's, it's such a rewatchable show and people have watched the series countless times from beginning to end. Yeah, there's always something new to see. I mean, the jokes don't get old. The jokes don't get old. The way it's shot, you'll always find a little something happening in the background. It's a brilliant show, man. Hilarious. It was ahead of its time. It it was clever. I'm very proud of it. You know, uh, you should be. It was, uh, you know, it was serendipity. And I can finish the story, but I went to the audition uh, for The Office. Okay. And it was on Halloween. And I didn't know it was Halloween. I'm not into Halloween. I didn't know it was Halloween. And then I was like, what's all this traffic? <laughs> and then I got into Hollywood and I could see all these people in costumes and there's nowhere to park. And I'm like, oh, it's Halloween. No, oh, okay, that's why this sucked. But I was the last guy of the day. I had to run to get into the office. It was 5.15. I was pouring sweat from running. And, you know, I do a couple takes of it and it goes well. and. Uh, right after I leave the office, and this is with Allison Jones, who's the big comedy uh, casting director, so I was happy to just be in the office, right? Right. She does all Will Ferrell's movies, and you know she's the comedy queen. And so uh, as I come out of the building, uh, out of the studio, actually, um, there's these three girls dressed as angels. <laughs> they got little wings, and they got you know the whole the whole bit, and wands, and the whole bit. And they start screwing around with me and hit me with their wands and playing around. And, you know, I was having fun with them. And I thought, well, this might be an omen. (laughs) 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 So uh, I don't hear anything for two weeks. And then I get a phone call from the agent. I have good news and I have better news. He says, you have an offer for such and such. And you have a call back for the office. And so tomorrow at the the studio. And uh, I'm like, which one am I going to do? Right. I could have taken this other job, which was more money, and uh, but it was not a re- possible recurring. Mm-hmm. I'd already sniffed out that this thing could come back, you know. Right. That I, I was the boyfriend of one of the major characters in the office, so that was a good thing, and my office was in the same building. Sure. So I was like, eh, this got possibility, but nobody really knew the show was going to do anything, right? I mean, it was still a gamble. Right. So I didn't say yes to the other thing. I mean, I chose and I went in for the callback and Phyllis was there. And I, you know, I'm pretty sure Phyllis chose me. <laughs> there, there was some competition. Yeah. You know, there was some uh, guys I knew there. And, uh, you know, I I got the I got the gig. And the very next morning, I was the first guy up. Uh, I was out shooting at uh, seven o'clock the next morning as Bob Vance. Wow. Yeah, you made the right call, man. Like you said, serendipity. That's awesome. Dude. Yeah, yeah. So you know. Yeah, man. Well, before before you did mention that you do like coffee. Do you mind if I throw out my sponsors real quick? How about it? One of my sponsors is a company called Dead Sled Coffee. D e a d s l e d Coffee. You can follow them on Instagram at Dead Sled Coffee. If you go to deadsledcoffee.com and you type in the promo code Brooklyn Blast. You will get 20% off of your order and anything over $60 is free domestic shipping. Um, What's that? You can't beat that. You can't beat that. And what they do, what they do, they work with like a lot of music. They have like officially licensed stuff with musicians and actors, a lot of horror people. Like um, they have like a Bella Lugosi blend, an Elvira blend, Robert Englund, Kane Hodder. Bands like Kiss and Skid Row and Rob Zombie. They, they do like a lot of really cool stuff for a small company. Oh, that's good. Yeah, man. So that's like coffee on you know, .com and on Instagram as well. The second sponsor is local. Um, they're called Generation Records, located at 210 Thompson Street here in the West Village in New York City. Um, you follow them on Instagram as well at Generation Records. If you cannot make to the actual brick and mortar spot, they have an eBay page. 
or you can go to generationrecords.bigcartel.com and order stuff online from there. They survived this whole pandemic stuff and their doors are open. So they're like, they've been around since 92 and they're um, like the last guys on the block that sell actual records and vinyl and t-shirts and books and stuff like that. So small business, Generation Records. Yeah, you'll always be collecting to that. Yeah, man. And last but not least, New Republic Printing for screen printing, embroidery, vinyl stickers, and buttons. You find them on Instagram as well at New Republic Printing. You go to newrepublicprinting.com. There's a drop-down menu of every kind of brand of shirt or T-shirt, hoodies, anything you want something printed on, they can print it for you. The best part about them is there's no screen fees, there's no setup fees, and if you have your order shipped to any commercial address, it's UPS ground shipping. That's Can't beat it. No screen fees for T-shirts and free shipping. So New Republic Printing Generation Records and Dead Sled Coffee. Thank Maybe you. Maybe I can get advanced refrigeration shirts there or something. A hundred percent. You can get a th- you can get five hundred advanced refrigeration shirts printed and get get them delivered to I don't know any commercial address that doesn't cost you a nickel more. That's the mistake I made. I've been buying them instead of making them and selling them. You know, I would have been I would that would have been better. I can give you the guy's information. You 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 get in contact with him. You send him a nice big logo of Vance Refrigeration that you have. Three weeks later, you have boxes in front of your door, Joe Vickers. I know you could hook me up, but I'm gonna. I'm just going to stay out of business altogether. There you go. <laughs> You're better off. That's right. Yeah, man. So what do you got working on now? You working on anything right now? I'm working on a book. Uh, you know, I've, re- I've pretty much retired. I don't live in Hollywood anymore. So uh, I'm, I'm back east. I'm in the mountains. Oh, are you? Oh, see, I, I had no idea. I was like, that's why I said Eastern time. I thought maybe you were in California or something. No, I fled California. I'm, I live in West Virginia. Uh, okay. And this is my home state and uh, back in, you know, around my family and friends. And uh, I'm, I'm a couple blocks away from where I went to school, uh, grade school. I mean, so uh, I'm all the way back and uh, it's kind of nice to get out of L.A. I spent 40 years in Los Angeles, you know, uh, spending a lot of time on the freeway. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Like you started out there, you did this whole thing for 40 years, Hollywood, this, that, and the other thing, worked with legendary people, did a billion roles, and now you're retired and you're back home. That's kind of cool. You know, I didn't tell you this, but my first film uh, is a movie called The Rosebud Beach Hotel with all these great character actors. And my very first scene, who am I standing next to but Christopher Lee? Jesus Christ. Christopher Lee. In your first scene ever. Well, well, my first scene was with uh, with uh, what's your name, uh, the star of the film, uh, Colleen Camp. Okay. And then the next day, her dad is played by Christopher Lee. So I've got scenes with Colleen Camp and Christopher Lee. But I'm standing there looking at Christopher Lee. It's Dracula. <laughs> it is Dracula. You say Christopher Lee, I think Dracula, of course. Standing there, and Christopher Lee was the real deal. Christopher Lee was a special forces soldier in World War II. I mean, he was a man's man and, uh, you know, a gentleman, such a gentleman, uh, mm-hmm. you know, refined uh, gentleman, but uh, very, very, uh, very self. I mean, not not self-aware in a bad way, but aware of, you know, his power. I mean, uh, stars that are aware of their power. I mean, you have to be aware. I mean, you're sure. not a, you know, uh, you, you're aware that, you know, the, the vibe changes when you go into a room. Yeah. Uh, it does. And so. He was aware of his uh, impact on people. I mean, he was a very tall man. He was my height. And, uh, but there he was. <laughs> Jesus. And I'm standing there trying to keep my shit together. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. Man. I can only imagine. Just trying well, to hold it together and know your lines and this and that. But you stand next to this legendary guy. You're a young actor. Yeah, I get the moment where you can be flipping out in your head. The night before, I was working with Colleen Camp, and she had been, you know, uh, in Apocalypse Now, and she was, you know, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she, she's managing a band, and I'm a record company executive from New York. Rodney Long from World Records in New York City. <laughs> so I had to go over to her table and introduce myself, and we have a little conversation about the band. And, you know, uh, 18 takes later... <laughs> Of course. <laughs> well, I could not. I mean, it was, it was a train wreck, you know, and the crew, meanwhile, is getting really surly. You know, they're like, 
this rookie is having a hard time. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're fucking it up, man. <laughs> so finally, we'll take 18, we get it done. And and Colleen, you know, was a hard, she was a hard girl to work with because everything was different. And, you know, sometimes she'd do things and sometimes she wouldn't, and that would throw me. And what had happened was the director had said to me right before we started shooting, he said, uh, oh, Bobby, forget those pages, just do this. Right. I'm like, those pages are my lifeline. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sticking to this. <laughs> All these pages to get me through this. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to fall apart at the seams. So I, I'm I'm driving home. I'm in a convertible. I'm driving home, and I'm just crushed. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, what just happened? I suck. Mm. I'm never going to make it, you know. And so I get home, and the director calls me, and he says, uh, listen, it happens to everybody. You got to lose your cherry one way, and you just lost it. I'll see you tomorrow morning with Christopher Lee. Oh. And so, you know, that was a that was a big moment for me. And you know, I got over myself, and uh, you know, uh, s- stop uh, trying to demand perfection and learn how to live more uh, in in the scene. You know. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. So good, dude. Thank you. Well, hold on. What's the name of your book? Well, what what would you think it's going to be? Uh, is it going to be something Vance Refrigeration? <laughs> uh, it goes Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> what line of work are you in, Bob? And it's it's really uh, my journey to Hollywood. I mean, all the jobs that I had. I mean, I did some weird things. I mean, to keep a roof over my head and food in my belly and Listen, you do what you got to do what you got to do, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, uh, but it wasn't all sunshine and giggles. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. But that's what makes it real. And that's very cool. Well, you got you to gotta get kicked. You got to get kicked a few times. You you know, it. it uh, that's what made all the leading men of a certain era so great. I mean, Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson and John Wayne. I mean, those were Robert Mitchum. Those were real men. Who went out and faced the real world, who fought in the world wars. I mean, they were men, you know, who uh, the breadth of their life experience then came through these roles that they've never, that they played. I mean, you know, do you think Bronson ever got really taxed? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I met Bronson and he was uh, as cool as could be, but he was a very humble guy. I mean, that's what you find with great actors or great stars like that is they're humble, you know, there's no, you know, you're not ego driven, you know, look at me, paparazzi. I mean, that's, that's a whole different thing. I mean, that was one thing about the office was, you know, we did get to taste some of the fruit, you know, the golden gloves and the Emmys and all that kind of stuff. But that's a very rare event. That's a once every six months, you get to get out on a red carpet. The rest of the time you got your nose to the grand grindstone and you're putting out a TV show. Yeah. Right. And I, I read this morning that uh, Greg Daniels and uh, Steve uh, Carell have a show called Space Force. <laughs> and season one on Netflix, they had gone for this big cinematic look where they were doing all these lighting setups and it was taking forever to light it. And, you know, a, a film look. Yeah. Now they ditch that. They're going to go make a show more like The Office. Of course, because it was so simple, but it really wasn't simple. It looked like it was simple, like a shaky camera, these weird points of view and stuff like that. It was it's brilliantly shot. Instead of this whole big, huge production, it's like, it's... Those, those cameramen were real stars. I mean, the, they were handheld. Yeah. They were never dollies and sticks. They were always handheld. And the second, those are 75-pound cameras. Uh-huh. The minute the operator stops, the camera crew's there to get it off of them because it's so heavy. Uh, I mean, those guys had worked on uh, Survivor out in the wilderness. Yeah. And they were, you know, they're shooters, those two. Uh, and they went on the big things that, you know, from being associated, they're directors now uh, from having been associated with The Office. Wow. You know, all, all the writers on that staff have gone on to bigger, better things. I mean, not bigger, better, but, oh. you know. <laughs> yeah. More employment, shall I say. There you go. Where is your Where is your Emmy award? My what? Your Emmy award. Well, that was for the show. Oh, you don't you don't have like your own your own little copy of it? I have a Dundee award here though. <laughs> for what? 
bushiest beaver. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just won that one. Oh, I, I thought maybe your Emmy Award would be next to your 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 uh, Joe Vickers badge <laughs> on the shelf behind you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dude, listen, I'm not going to hold you hostage for any longer. I just wanted to shoot this shit with you, and this was awesome. This was yeah, really cool. Um, thank you so much for your time, man. You have an Instagram page, right? Well, I just post, I, I don't like to, you know, I just post pictures on there every now and then. Right. I get it. I see. But it, what is it? At Robert Ray Schaefer, correct? Yeah, yeah, but I'm not really interacting. Like, I don't follow people. Or I, right. You know, I'm too stupid to do these things. I mean. I don't, I'm not certified or anything. People are always, you know, why don't you try to get more followers? I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. I'm retired and I already did this for 40 years. I really don't care. I get it. People are following me. But you do have a cameo and it's cameo.com slash Robert Wright. Bobby Wright. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah. No, oh. I, I, I love making the fan videos. It's a lot. Of, I broke up with somebody on a fan. <laughs> oh, did you? Of course you did. It was awkward. You think? Yeah, I would think that would be an awkward request. <laughs> Take care of your business, your own self. Don't hire a mercenary to break up. <laughs> right. Okay? Even though I'm good at it. You know. <laughs> it's, you, it's me. Right. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Dude, thank you so much. Enjoy your retirement. Um, I'm sure you'll make an announcement on your Facebook page or your Instagram when your book comes out. Well, I think I'm going to be up in Atlantic City. Uh, in August to do an office convention up there. They're, uh, you know, they, they've made an offer to me and I haven't said yes. And I like to leave them dangling for a little while. Leave them dangling. Let them wander. Just let them dangle. There you go. Awesome, dude. Well, you have a great night. All right, thanks. This Officer Joe Vickers. That's right, at your service. At my service. Your time and, and you're appreciated, my man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jimmy. You got it, buddy. Later. He is here to protect and serve. Looks like you need a policeman. His job is to safeguard the innocent. What was that? Pursue the guilty. Everything's under control. And uphold the law. <gasps> Nothing to worry about, miss. There are good cops. Officer? And there are bad cops. I said hands in the air! But be thankful there's only one. Police officer Joe Vickers. Psycho cop. At your service. Is the judge, the jury, the executioner. You have the right to remain silent. Now, terror has a badge. Look. Looking for me? gets his man shouldn't run from the police and everybody else 